All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its host are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm talking to you from New York City on this, the 10th day of August, 2021. I do want to thank all of you for listening to this show, making it one of the more popular shows on the Voice America Business Channel, and also like to encourage you to continue sending along whatever comments you have about this show. Send them to Questions for Taylor at gmail.com. Questions the number four, Taylor at gmail.com. And of course, we do want to thank our sponsors for making this show economically viable. Noble Resources, LOO Resources, Hannon Metals, Labrador Gold Corp, Lion One Metals, SK Mining Corp, NV Gold Corp, and Firefox Gold are this week's sponsors. Before I talk about today's show, with the gold markets getting slammed by massive paper market sales, by the major bullion banks over the past few trading days, it would have been good to have Michael Oliver with us today to get his take on just how serious this decline is in the yellow metal. But since he is not with us today, I thought I would pass along some remarks that he sent out yesterday following uh, the bloodbath in the gold market. And he said, and I quote, As we said in the weekend report, we expect this week on weekly momentum to be the last week for bears to do whatever they can do. Then the table begins to turn. Admittedly, we were surprised by the depth of this week. Panic collapses soon after a major high, several months or so. If they break major, if they break major long-term momentum structures, can in fact be the beginning of new trends. But when a panic occurs more than a year after a fully confirmed momentum high, as last August high was by all metrics, then the panic is more likely a buying situation. It's best to see more bounce before fully assuming that. End of quote. So the bottom line from Michael's perspective is that while he he believes the possibility of of a new trend direction on the downside is there, He thinks that is highly unlikely. And uh, he not only believes we are likely reaching a bottom here, but in his weekly missive, he said he is putting his money where his mouth is by buying more silver. I should also like to mention a very good article written by Matthew Piepenberg, which you can access at miningstocks.com. The link is right there. You just scroll down to the orange title. Uh, on the front homepage, it's significant weekly market headlines, and the first two articles that are there uh, are by Mr. Piepenberg, and I think they're very valuable in terms of helping you not only understanding uh, understand why the uh, the recent takedown in gold, but also how it is related to the Basel III arrangement. He explains the connection 
essentially saying that uh, it was a buy the rumor, sell the news kind of a thing where uh, a lot of the interests were, were covering their shorts by buying gold, and that drove the price up, and then uh, the opposite occurred. Uh, but he's certainly longer-term bullish on gold as well. Uh, short-term, um, well, you know, short-term, anything can happen, that's for sure. Uh, but uh, Michael Oliver, OliverMSA.com is the place to go to keep up with Michael. And he will be sending out missives whenever they're urgent, like he did just yesterday after uh, the major uh, downturn in gold. Today, it seems to be, gold seems to be finding some stability uh, in its current range. Uh, those of us that are bullish Hope that this is about it on the downside, but time will tell. I've titled today's show, The Great Eruption is Upon Us. Richard Mayberry and Dr. Quentin Henning are return guests this week. The title of this week's show is the main topic featured in Richard Mayberry's August 21st, his August 2021 letter. Richard says that he is 90% sure that the great eruption has begun. He says it will result in many bankruptcies, but also new fortunes among those who understand it. He says that the uh, three components of the great eruption are the rebellion against the swamp, the new era of inflation, and cyber war. He explains each uh, component and the instability that comes with them will be explored. Uh, well, we will explore those ideas with Richard when he's with us in the second half of today's show. Those are how bad will it get? Is hyperinflation a possibility? And will a currency reset coincide with the great eruption? These are some of the questions that I want to ask, uh, ask him when he's with us. Uh, most importantly, though, uh, how does Richard think those who are able to clearly envision the future uh, direction of America, how can they turn hard times into good times so we can help us live up to the name of our show? One possibility is to own companies that produce gold and silver, which several thousand years of history tells us the markets will eventually demand as money. Quinton uh, Henning will update us on one of your host's favorite new gold producers, that's Novo Resources. Novo appears to be approaching production optimization at its Beaton's Creek gold mine in Australia, which I believe will be one of many more to come in Australia for that company. If so, these shares should, uh, should be set, I think, for a nice ride higher to higher levels uh, as the company starts to uh, report on a quarterly basis now its production and uh, obviously its financials as well. So I, I'm really uh, very excited about Nova Resources and a number of the companies that are sponsors to this show and others that are not that I follow in my newsletter, J. Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, and you can sign up for that by going to miningstocks.com, miningstocks.com, uh, to sign up for my weekly and monthly letter. Uh, but I do think that you're going to want to hear what Quentin has to say. You want to pay close attention to that. Uh, we do have to go to break now, but when we come back, uh, we'll be back with Dr. Quentin Henning to talk about noble resources. Don't go away. Firefox Gold is actively exploring in Finland, where recent discoveries have sparked a new gold rush. Firefox controls a major portion of a prospective gold belt, giving the company a distinct advantage for exploration and strategic partnerships. The company's strong international leadership team, combined with its Finland-based exploration specialists, will put Firefox on the crest of the coming wave of gold discoveries. Firefox Gold trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol FFOX. Go to firefoxgold.com to subscribe for updates. 
SK Mining Corp. Trading under the symbol ESK on the TSX Venture and ESKYF on the OTCQB is a mineral exploration company targeting precious metals, rich VMS deposits in the heart of British Columbia's Golden Triangle. SK Mining controls a prospective land package totaling 130,000 acres, which lies across a geologic trend that once hosted the prolific SK Creek Mine. With a world-renowned geological team, funding in place, and shareholders such as Eric Sprott, SK Mining is on the cusp of a world-class discovery. Go to skmining.com to subscribe for updates. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times and Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Dr. Quentin Henning. He's with me today to talk about Noble Resources, their latest numbers. They just published some production numbers from July, and they are quite good, actually. They're really uh, pretty much living up to the uh, economic studies that the company did before they got started. Of course, always when new mines go into production, there are issues to start with. Uh, and now after the first few months of this year, it seems as though the company is actually hitting those metrics that uh, the PEA uh, suggested it could hit. And for me, as uh, with this being one of my favorite companies, this is really very reassuring. So I'm really happy to have uh, Quentin with me again uh, to talk about the latest results and, uh, and and let us know how they've gotten to where they are at this point. Thanks for joining me again, Quentin. Always a pleasure, Jay. You know, I think your uh, production was 8,600 or 8,589 ounces, something like that, for the month of July. And, uh, you know, if I look at that and multiply very simplistically, if I multiply that times 12, I'm, I'm getting upwards to 100,000 ounces, which is actually above, I think, what your PEA was predicting. So congratulations on that. But tell us, I mean, last time you and I talked about a month ago, and your average grade that was going to the mill was something like 1.3 grams per ton. And the, as I recall, the average grade for the deposit, at least the, uh, the oxides, was something like maybe 2.1 grams per ton or so. so uh, and then I noticed that you've got 1.94 is where your latest uh, grades were that you delivered to the mill. So somehow you've managed to improve your uh, grade control dramatically. And, and I guess you're getting close to what you should be, I suppose. I'm just looking at the numbers. So tell us how you got there and how, you, how you've made such a great amount of improvement uh, since the startup. Yeah, most of what you're seeing here is, uh, is refinement in the mining technique, but also grade control. Um, the, the issue that we faced earlier this year is that the, the laboratory that we chose to run our grade control samples on a routine basis uh, saw, was just overwhelmed by business, basically. And uh, unfortunately, they were not turning around our grade control samples as quickly as hoped. Uh, we were, you know, getting about a third of what we needed. Mm-hmm. So therefore, the guys at, at site, you know, it sounds uh, crazy, but they were mining by visually. You know, they were mining by sight. They were 
actually identifying geologically the the boundaries of the mineralization and and that, you know I, while that's a good technique and they actually did a very good job of managing that for for several months it's not ideal okay you can't you can't assess just basic things like reconciliation uh dilution stuff like that uh everything that we we can say to to date or at least before uh july was a, a visual estimate you know people say well what's your dilution well you know we we basically you know we're mining a layer so if we see you know, we can see about how much we're taking above and below that layer, and we have to visually estimate dilution. But now, now we have a laboratory that is delivering. Okay, we have, uh, I believe, we had over sixty thousand assays come back in July, and now we have that tool. We have basically the ability to differentiate things, so that helps tremendously. Um, they, they, uh, you know, as a consequence, have gone back and refined yet further their mining techniques and I think the team is is doing a fantastic job mm -hmm. so you're uh, approaching that one point uh, approaching that two gram per ton are, are you mining just oxides at this time and I know there's fresh rock that grades a little higher might you be mining at any time in the future at Beaton's Creek or is that uh, in the distance the, the oxide look the, actually the oxide is a bit lower if you look at our resource statement the oxide is uh, a, a bit lower not hugely lower but uh, it's a bit lower than the fresh rock. Um, okay, so uh, and part of that's because the the bulk of the fresh rock, the the high grade, uh, is coming from the M1 and M2 reefs, which dip off of Grant's Hill and and form a large part of the the or or the the deposit below oxidation. Okay, like below the level of oxidation. Okay, uh, the the results that you see here are actually in line if not better than what we, we uh, predicted with the PEA. Um, that's encouraging, it's very encouraging. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the, the results, it, PEAs are uh, um, plus or minus uh, a very wide margin, as yeah. you know, okay? So to hit, to hit uh, you know, have your, your target with the PEA and then hit above that, that's, that's an exceptional outcome. Yeah, indeed. Uh well, so it's really very encouraging. What about your run rate? How much, I, I know the last we talked, I think the last a month ago or so, you were at something like 1.6 million tons per year. I think the latest one you're approaching the 1.8, which I think is the capacity of the mill. Is that right? Uh, what well, actually, um, we've been operating at, at over that level. Um, look, the, the guys have been very, uh, I guess, creative is the, the word. They've made some physical modifications to the mill that allow the, 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 this is, I'm talking the ball mill, the thing that spins around, mm -hmm. that allow the material to, to flow through quicker. Look, we don't have to grind our rock down to, to absolute bug dust because the recovery is so high to yeah. begin with. It's a free milling gold system. So they, they made modifications that they can get, basically get rock through that mill quicker and into the gravity and lead circuits. And, and because of that, uh, we think, you know, it sounds crazy, but we think we can operate at a significantly higher level, perhaps 2 million tons per annum. You know, it's, it's speculation at this point, but we are seeing, uh, us, you know, the team's achieving that number on a daily basis uh, quite often here lately. Uh, we are doing a tailings lift. What that means is that the, the tailings dam, think about like a layer cake, okay, it builds up. And they're doing uh, another lift, which gives us a couple years runway here. So uh, much of August is is around that, which is important because we need need that uh, next 
lift in the layer cake, so to speak, to, to uh, put our tailings for the next couple of years. Uh, but, uh, man, once they get that done, you know, they can, they, they've demonstrated they can throttle up and, and put tons to the mill. I want to ask you about, the, this is Beaton's Creek, and I know you've got uh, other areas that you're quite interested in longer term, but just in terms of Beaton's Creek, uh, how much upside is there? Because as I look at it, there's a lot of targets that you have in line just with the sort of the conglomerate stuff like you're mining now. Yeah. So do you see, the, I mean, you can't say until you do the exploration, you drill and everything, but do you see Beaton's Creek itself without going far away from Beaton's Creek, you've got other things going on, that Beaton's Creek itself could sustain a mine life of beyond a couple of years, which you, I guess you've got now. Yeah, it yeah, the PEA is the the life uh, in the PEA is a little over six years, mm -hmm. and yeah, I, I do think it'll grow from there. Uh, you know, basically every deposit, almost every deposit on Earth, uh, usually sees natural expansion, and Beaton's Creek is going to be one of them. Mm -hmm. We know we have lots of areas where the the reefs, these layers, extend and then are not in in a resource, or e even uh, areas that we have inferred resources that are not presently in the PEA that, that will likely come in over time. So, yeah, I, I think we'll see Beaton's Creek uh, continue to grow. We have new targets we're testing. I think we talked about those in a couple of news releases over the past six months. Um, targets to the south and higher up section and then on the west side of the, uh, the basin as well. So we do think... Uh, we have a lot of room to grow, and Beaton's Creek is going to, going to provide that base load for many years to come. And uh, in that area, and it's not right in that area, I think it might be something like 150 uh, kilometers away, you have the Taga project, which was mentioned in your last news release. And that is a different style. I mean, this is, I mean, we're talking Beaton's Creek mostly about conglomerate uh, deposits, but this is more of an orogenic, uh, I guess, vein system. That looks very exciting. I think the press release talked about three kilometers of strike that you've identified and some grades. I suppose they're surface grades, uh, samples that you've picked up, but, you know, an ounce to two to three ounces, somewhere in that range. I mean, crazy stuff. Um, are you drilling that now? Are you exploring that? Will yeah. we see some numbers coming from there sometime soon? And the second question is, that's a ways away from your mill. So, I mean, high grade you can haul, but, I mean, what are your thoughts about the possibilities there? Okay, so, look, Tauga uh, Tauga is a different style of, of deposit. It is an orogenic load deposit. And we have uh, maybe two or three productive shear zones. They're, they're actually dipping at fairly uh, moderate angles. You know, they're not, they're not vertical. They're, they're dipping more like, you know, say, 30 to 40 degrees, <clears throat> which actually is ideal for, you know, potential open pit mining. Uh, the wonderful thing about Tauga Tauga is that uh, it, it is high grade, okay? There's some really flashy stuff there. There is a lot of coarse gold. It's different, you know, it's in quartz versus conglomerate like we have at Peaton's Creek. But, but we do think, guess what? Mechanical sorting might play a role there. We do see uh, the, like the, the gold occurs associated with quartz vein. And, you know, we, we know that mechanical sorting can pick gold particles, but we also know mechanical sorters can, say, sort on the basis of, of quartz. You know, quartz is white. Other rock is darker colored. Okay. This, this could be very exciting. Uh, but but I, I would dare say that even without mechanical sorting, I think the grade at Talgatog could quite well be high enough that, you know, we can truck the 100 kilometers or so to the yeah. to the bottom. 
Well, that remains to be seen. And uh, might we be seeing some assays from there anytime soon from Tonga Tonga? Yeah, yeah. Look, they're, they're drilling there now. It'll uh, be, you know, as they turn around, look, we uh, we have access to a lab now. So, you know, ho- hopefully we can we'll pass that uh, bottleneck. But uh, I think we'll see assays over the next couple of months, correct? That's really exciting to think about the possibilities of the mechanical sorting from there. But, uh, well, we'll wait and see. That's, I mean, you have so many things going on, Quentin, besides Beaton's Creek, which is, I think, you know, I mean, it's probably not that exciting to a lot of people, but um, you you have a lot going on there. And then I always have to ask you about some of those further away to the west, Caratha and Ed. Let's, let's talk about them. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, now that we have Beaton's Creek, you know, more or less ramped up and, and in hand, we're we're going to start, uh, you know, full court press on some of the other initiatives that that you're alluding to. Okay, Karatha, uh, we want to test sort that material. We want to see if we can start generating high grade concentrate from that material that can be trucked over to the Nulligan Mill. Uh, as we've talked about a couple of times here recently, we are going to put that mechanical sorter at the mill facility in Nulligan. Uh, the guys uh, are building the, the framework and stuff for it right now. That was the change of plan. We decided to do that because uh, the, the mill is a permitted facility. It makes it easier for us to, to operate there. Uh, we will pull rock into that mill from Garatha as well as other sources. Uh, you know, the Edgina project, that, that will likely generate some samples that we can test. But we have other things, even like Tauga Tauga that we just talked about. Mm-hmm. You know, we can uh, grab some tons up there and put it through the mechanical sorter and see if we can produce that upgrade material. Okay, so so this is really the big picture here. Okay, Beaton's Creek and Nulligan is is our base case. It's a foundation for the company. It should do quite well uh, from here on out, and it should generate cash flow. Uh, what we want to do now is grow the company. Okay, so we've got... Like you said, Tauga Tauga as an exploration target, but we have other exploration targets in the Nulligan area. You know, we've got Beaton's Creek, it'll grow, but we have other things in the area too. So we're going to test a lot of those. In fact, we are testing a lot of those. Mm-hmm. Then Karatha and other projects we have that we haven't even discussed here, uh, like Contact Creek and Virgin Creek. These are things that, that we see uh, now that we have experience with conglomerate and we can demonstrate their viability that we see uh, being add-ons to the to the production story. I would dare say, you know, our, our goal in, in four or five years is to be producing considerably more gold out of this camp. Really, you know, set up the, the Pilbara as a gold-producing region. Mm-hmm. Well, certainly, Edgina is, is vast, as I understand it. The, uh, it's, it's not a small project, necessarily. So I would think at some point in time, you might want to, Perhaps you'll be building a mill up there. I mean, that's way in the future, of course, but yeah. is that a possibility? Because, yeah, I mean, otherwise you're going to have to expand. I would think you'd have to expand your mill at Nulligan. Uh, yeah, a little, little bit of a uh, little, little bit of flavor to that one because Edgina is a bit different. You know, that's the gravel at surface, so we don't really need a mill. It would be, uh, it's more like an alluvial operation. You're going to mine it on site. Um, you know, if we produce a concentrate, sure, that can be trucked over to, to Nulligan. That's yeah. no problem. Uh, well, the wonderful, wonderful thing about Nulligan, uh, the mill there, is it is uh, a workhorse, okay? If we can get that up to, say, 2 million ton per annum, um, that should handle Beaton's Creek, but we can also start pulling in, you know, a few tens of thousands of tons of concentrate or, right. or uh, ores from other, other sources. I'm not too worried about the, 
the ability for us to ramp things up without having, you know, say significant capital outlays. Yeah. Spokes and wheels, sort of a. Um, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, uh, so also, um, all right. So you might have some information pretty soon regarding the mechanical sorting viability too. Then, if you bring bulk samples from Carafa down to Nolligan, run those. I mean, you you should be able to say how effective they are, and I would imagine yeah. you're seeing some news along those lines too, right? Yeah, I think by the end of this year we'll have some very very uh, tangible data that we can show to the market that this mechanical sorting effort uh, is is indeed viable. In fact, you know, inside. As a company, we are already looking at this as likely going to be a success. So we're looking out at strategies where we can streamline um, the the uh, to, to to actually take it from field testing, we'll call yeah. it, to a you know potentially commercial uh, situation. You know, so we're we're look we got a good team in place. You know, one of the things I I want to bring up as part of that is uh, part of our announcement yesterday is. Yeah. A, an addition to our management. Okay, Mike Spreadborough is uh, now executive chairman, co-chairman with me. Uh, I'm here in Denver. Um, okay, so I'm. I I wish I could be there, you know, and working 12, 14 hours a day with the crew, but I cannot go down to Australia. But Mike really stepped up to the plate over the past few months. He's been part of many of our meetings, and and he's really got a sense of how uh, you know how he can help. And help grow the company. Okay, so a lot of these initiatives we're talking about mechanical sorting yeah. and so forth. It, it's all about people. Okay, and now we have we're expanding our team. We're expanding the capabilities of the team. You know, because they have a bit, they have more time. We we'll call it okay, mm -hmm. and that's what's really critical here. Uh, you know, Beaton's Creek is in hand. Now let's start working on on growth. Yeah. So Michael is the co-chairman, the executive co-chairman. You will remain on as a chairman and uh, will be involved with obviously with the geology, uh, whatever that involves. And, uh, as I and I understand that you will also uh, be available for future interviews like this one, possibly. A absolutely. Look, okay, yeah, I, I will. Uh, you know, I'd like to bring Mike and, and, and Rob in as well on some things yeah. here soon because, you know, they, it's been all hands on deck down there. But now the guys have pulled it off. They've demonstrated, you know, what a wonderful job they can do. I really want to see see uh, that that story told more. Rob's really, uh, his passion, a lot of his passion is around mechanical sorting. And I think that uh, what he, he's going to bring to the company over the next uh, couple of years is going to be remarkable. Uh, before I let you go, just a comment perhaps on – uh, on the financial condition of the company, and I believe that you had cash flow positive month in July. Uh, and, I, and I'm wondering also, I think you, you're, you're expensing exploration work on an ongoing basis too. Yes. So I, I imagine that, that uh, your cash balances, which, are, which increased uh, in July, uh, also take into account money that goes out the door to finance to finance exploration work, right? So that's correct. Talk just so just maybe a little overview on the financial standings of the company after about uh, six months of production or so. Sure. Look, uh, I think in the, the news release we talked about the the current balance and uh, bank balance we have, and that's the way I like to think about things. You know, it's that's really the most meaningful. Uh, I believe it's about forty nine million. I might be misquoting, but I'm pretty sure that was the number. Um, it's gone up. I think went up around three million. Uh, over the month, and that's a wonderful thing because, as you said, we are including the costs of expiration. And right now, there is a lot of expiration going on. 
Uh, okay. Yeah, we we had a full intent to just go, you know, full throttle uh, with exploration. Back when we did that raise in April, that really gave us the the assurance that we we could throttle up, and the team is out there aggressively drilling many many targets. You know, the objective there. Let's add ounces to, like we were talking about earlier. Let's add ounces to the story. Let's let's make sure that mill has plenty of rock in front of it for you know many 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 years to come. Right. All right. Well, it's uh, it's really shaping up very nicely, Quentin. I want to thank you very much for spending time with us today and uh, giving us an update. And I guess we have plenty of news to look forward to. Will you be providing monthly uh, production statistics for the foreseeable future? Yeah, look, we'll we'll move to a quarterly reporting from oh, here on out. Yeah, we we you know we're kind of through that ramp up phase, so I think you know from here on out we need to report quarterly, like more like a normal company, and then uh, more of, of the news flow. I think you'll see starting in say September will start to be results around exploration, exploration strategy, growth strategy, so forth, like that mechanical sorting. Like we really want to we want to show the market, you know, a we're we're making money, we're making gold bars of nullagine but we want to show that we're going to grow from here too so so we need to get that uh that picture back in you know in into people's uh minds absolutely absolutely well the production as well as uh as, as i think potentially very significant growth ahead of you so thank you again quentin for spending time with us it's always great to hear from you especially when you have good news so and most of the time you do thanks so much all right, folks, uh, we do have to go to break now, but don't go away because when we come back, Richard Mayberry is going to be with me to talk about the great eruption, or some people might talk about it uh, in terms of the fourth turning, when everything that you thought is true turns out to be the opposite. So we'll see what Richard has to say about how we're going to deal with uh, these uncertain times ahead. So don't go away. We'll be right back with Richard Mayberry. Lion Wine Metals is focused on high-grade gold in Fiji, led by legendary Canadian financier Walter Barakoff. Lion One is permitted for production and drilling for discoveries in one of the most exciting high-grade gold projects in the prolific South Pacific Ring of Fire. Lion One trades on the TSX Venture Exchange under the symbol LIO and on the OTCQX under the symbol LOMLF. Go to our website at liononemetals.com for more information about Lion One Metals and high-grade gold in Fiji. Labrador Gold is an exploration company focused on its flagship Kingsway project located in central Newfoundland Gold District. Labrador Gold's first phase drilling program has successfully identified high-grade gold mineralization, including a 3.6-meter intercept, grading 20.6 grams per ton gold, and 1.85 meters, grading 50.38 gram per ton gold. The company has approximately $35 million in the treasury and is led by a world-class team of CEO Roger Moss and technical advisors Sean Ryan and Quentin Henney. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business.
You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times to Good Times. I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me once again Richard Mayberry. Richard uh, is the publisher of U.S. and World Early Warning Report for Investors, and he has written several entry-level common-sense books on the United States uh, economics, law, and history. And from my perspective, Richard is uh, a most valued uh, historian, really, in helping people see how the past applies to the future and, and therefore helping us to prepare to prepare as best we can uh, for the uncertainties of the future. But using history, uh, I think, is is something that people don't do nearly enough of, and Richard has really focused a lot of his work on understanding the driving forces in history and uh, and, and then applying them uh, to the world that we live in. Uh, So, uh, Rich, I want to thank you so much for being with me again. It's really great to have you. Oh, thanks, Jay. Uh, I always enjoy being here. You're doing such a great job of giving people a uh, non-approved uh, viewpoint of things. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, so uh, so well or so tremendously needed, and thank you. Well, it is. Uh, uh, thanks to people like you and other guests that I have. They help me do that, I think, to, to a great extent. Um, so approved, in fact, that I believe we've had two of our guests uh, taken down from YouTube. So we must be doing something right, in, in effect, if uh, uh, we're saying something that somebody doesn't like in powerful places. So um, I don't know if it's if it's in my best interest personally to do that, but nonetheless, truth, it seems, has to be spoken as far as I'm concerned. And we need to be free to go there and to try to understand, to apply history to the future, as you do. So uh, on page two of your last issue, the August issue, U.S. Uh, in World Earning Report, you stated, and I quote, I could be wrong, but it looks to me like America has arrived at a historic turning point, end of quote. And then you mentioned three crises, the rebellion against the swamp, the cyber war, and the new era of inflation. And uh, just to make a point, this is not a small issue. You compared it to a Mount St. Helens volcano. Uh, and then you said, and I quote again, it is not speculation or fear-mongering. When you stand back and view the big picture, which the mainstream press rarely does, you can clearly see that three crises are already well along, those three that you just mentioned. So, will you lay the blame, really, for the precarious state that uh, America finds itself, itself in now, directly at the feet of the politicians, not the people as a whole? Now, you, you talk about five first principles that allows one to analyze how politicians are impacting our lives in the, now and into the future. And I'd like you to just perhaps talk about those a little bit. The first, uh, you have the five first principles. The first of those, political power, and I quote, this is an ex, uh, a quote uh, from uh, Mao Zedong, political power grows out of the barrel of a gun, end of quote. Uh, let you just, just comment on that one, and then maybe we can comment, you can comment briefly on some of the others as well. Okay. Um, the, uh, uh, what set, separates government, meaning the politicians and the bureaucrats, from the rest of us is that they have the legal privilege of initiating 
the use of brute force on us. And that's what the federal government's 300,000 laws are all about. Um, the government, each with each of those laws, what the government is saying is you, you will obey or people with guns will come to your home and haul you away to prison. Mm-hmm. You, you feel that every year when you're doing your income taxes. You don't see the guns, but you know that if you don't buy what the government is selling, if you don't pay that tax, people with guns will haul you away to prison. And that's what government is, is a group of people who have that special privilege. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You refer in your letter to a, a video, I guess, that you that you were involved with or you made. Why does power corrupt? Is that right? And, and is that mm-hmm. something people can avail themselves to? Um, yeah, there's a, uh, yeah, a video, uh, and uh, all you have to do is Google, why does power corrupt? And my name, Mayberry, M-A-Y-B-U-R-Y. Okay. Uh, so people can avail themselves to that. It's uh, it's free and on the Internet, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yes. takes about All right. 10 minutes. Okay. Um, the a second first principle, government is not reason. It is an eloquence. It is not eloquence. It is force, which is what you just said. Mm-hmm. Like fire, it is a dangerous servant and a fearful, and a fearful master. And that is a quote attributed to George Washington. Would you like to comment further on that? Yeah, the American founders really understood this stuff. Uh, there, there are you won't find any politician anywhere in the world today that has studied political power and tried to neutralize it as much as the American founders did. They they get my vote as the greatest political geniuses in all of world history because they understood what they were trying to do um, with the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence. They were trying to, as much as possible, neutralize political power because they understood that it corrupts anybody who has it. Mm -hmm. They were interested in uh, the people having a say in their government. And it's interesting, you know, there's a, a number of people that you would consider to be sort of on the left side of the political spectrum that are waking up to the dangers that is going on now. Joe Rogan, for one, I just happened to see one of his videos recently, and he was talking about this is the first country uh, in history, he said, that really set out to be governed by the people. Uh, You're the historian. Does that sound right to you? To an extent. Um, They wanted some popular uh, involvement, but... In those days, the number of people who were allowed to vote was very small. It was only uh-huh. like three three percent of the population was allowed to vote. So they understood that political power corrupts the ordinary person just like it does anybody else. And if you give that power to the ordinary person in the form of a vote or whatever else you do, he's going to be corrupted by it because that privilege of meddling in other people's lives is an evil thing. And uh, so they were very careful about making sure that the population did not have all that much um, control over the government. They didn't want anybody to have much control. If you look at, at the, their, in their personal relationships with each other, they didn't trust each other, with the possible exception of Madison and Jefferson, um, they really, really didn't like each other, mm-hmm. and 
they, but they knew that um, they had to do something about the fact that none of them could trust any others with political power, and that's what the Constitution's all about. It's mm-hmm. a list of rules that, you know, you can't break these rules. You cannot do uh, very much to the people or anybody else. That's mm-hmm. what the Constitution's all about. Their attempt to control each other. Mm-hmm. Right, exactly. And, of course, this is something that the left side of the political spectrum especially, and I'm not sure that the right isn't guilty of it as well, but the idea that um, they don't really want the republic. And, again, uh, I believe that the word democracy doesn't appear in the Constitution. It was to be a republic, and it was a republic so that you could keep, so that you didn't have what you just talked about, the mobocracy. Some people say a democracy becomes a mobocracy as soon as a 51% figures out that it can vote for themselves whatever they want, uh, then the 49% can go to hell, essentially. And, and right. so they set these things in place. All of these, all of these checks and balances the uh, founders put in place to keep the majority from murdering the minority. But it seems to me that's something that's lost on the public today. They don't understand the philosophy of our government. They really understood, as you're saying, they, they didn't trust each other, and they didn't trust the... Uh, the nature of human beings in general, I guess. Is that fair to say? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, They were realists. They could look back in history, and they could Uh see how governments had behaved all through history, and they realized that uh, you can't trust this organization. This this institution is inherently corrupt. Well, the third principle, the third first principle, and I quote, the history of liberty is a history of the limitation of, of government power, not the increase of it, end of quote. And that's attributed to Woodrow Wilson, which was kind of surprising to me, because if there is one person in our history, from what my limited understanding of his, of our American history, was that Woodrow Wilson was the one that sort of pushed a democracy away from the uh, Republican form of government. He wanted, he was considered to be a progressive at that time, and it was this sort of power to the people, or the mass, the power for the individuals. And in fact, didn't we wasn't one of the slogans of World War One making the world safe for democracy, Richard? Yeah, that's right. Um, and you're right about Wilson. Uh, it is a mystery why he would come out with that piece of truth, um, but he did. Um, and you know, I'm I'm willing to to get hold of truth wherever I can find it. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, every once in a while, even the worst of them, even the worst of the power junkies, will say something that's very instructive. Yeah. So the history of liberty is a history of the limitation of government power, not the increase of it. And uh, which way is that going now, Rick? Oh, my gosh. Like I said, the federal government alone, this is not the state and local governments, just the federal government has made up 300,000 laws. And uh, ignorance of the law is no excuse. It's up to you. It's your responsibility, according to those people to know what the laws are and to know which ones apply to you and what you have to do to obey them. 300,000 laws. Yeah, and in, in, the, in your discussion of the third uh, first principle, you talk about the importance of military and police, that the military and police don't really take an oath to obey their superiors. Uh, they take an oath to obey the Constitution. And this is an incredibly important point because if... Uh, if the people in the military and the police, uh, you know, the police establishment uh, figures out that they don't need to pay attention to the Constitution, they can just simply follow 
the dictates of their superiors. Uh, which way do you think that's going in America now? Well, um, you know, I was I was in the Air Force. I was in a special operations squadron, and and this is in the 1960s. And the military at that time was already very, very unhappy with the civilian leadership. And uh, a lot of the, even the career people would openly talk about uh, how crooked all of the uh, Congress and the, the White House were. And I am quite sure that <laughs> as bad as it was then, it's probably worse now. They may be keeping it secret. But, um, you know, a one, one very, you know, recent thing here that's it's been going on is they they sent I don't know how many guys and or men and women to Afghanistan to die uh, for some uh, cause that was never really where, where figured out very well. Now all these people have died and now they're going to leave Afghanistan, just walk away. So essentially, these people died for nothing, and you can bet that. Uh, when nobody's listening, an awful lot of those troops are having conversations about this mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Sure. Another very interesting uh, tidbit under this discussion of the third of the, of the third first principle has to do with the makeup of women and their attitudes. And this, I know, Rick, I know you're not a sexist, but this may come off to some people as if you are. But the idea that that women uh, in they tend to look at things a little differently. Um, and so they tend to be sort of touchy-feely, I suppose you might say. Um, would you care to comment on that and, and what impact it might have? Uh, yeah, um, I, I sure wouldn't use that terminology, touchy-feely. You know. Women, <laughs> in, in my experience at least, and I think any psychologist would tell you, are, are, more, uh, are less oriented toward following orders and more oriented toward caring about individuals and helping individuals. Uh-huh. And, and when a woman is faced with having to choose between following orders or doing what's best for individuals in need, the mm-hmm. woman will usually go in the direction of helping the individual. Uh-huh. Um, okay, I think that's well established in, in psychology. Mm-hmm. Well, now, you know, almost... Uh, Let's see, it's 19%, I believe, of the U.S. military is women. Mm-hmm. And, and I have a suspicion uh, that there are a great many of them that are feeling worse and worse about the direction the U.S. government is headed, especially in foreign policy. Mm-hmm. And this idea of just going out and kill pe- killing people just because they're ordered to, I would imagine that it is not going over with the women very easily. And, and mm-hmm. also, the, also the men, of course, mm-hmm. there are a lot of men that feel bad about it. But mm-hmm. the women, I think, especially, and a lot of those women are officers. They have influence. And I think they will be a, a big um, influence on the direction that this, this whole rebellion against the federal government goes. Mm, very interesting. So it could be perhaps a positive impact. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I think that's, that's very, very true. Um, and, I, and I think um, not only in foreign policy, but also you know, domestically, the day is probably coming when uh, the politicians are going to ask the military to protect them from the uh, angry uh, population. 
And uh, those women are going to have a lot to say about, well, whose side are we going to be on, the politicians or the ordinary person? Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, also, so the issue, it's very important which way, how the military looks at things. And, uh, uh, you know, it, it's been my my belief, Richard, that the military is generally made up of, of more conservative uh, folks, people that are, are more aware of traditional values. I may be wrong, and then maybe that's a, a, not a wise generalization, but that's sort of what I've felt in the past. I don't know what you think. Um, it certainly was when I was in um, 40 years or 50 years ago. Geez. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, and I think it, it still holds. Um, yeah. Among other things, uh, you know, they do generally, there are exceptions, but they do generally have a very strong feeling of patriotism. And that necessarily draws you into uh, some knowledge of American history and why the country became the land of liberty and all of that. They generally will have more understanding of that than mm-hmm. the, uh, the average citizen does. So um, they, they're necessarily oriented in that sort of conservative direction. The, the liberals, my God, I mean, they just, they just hate... <laughs> I mean, they just hate this country. It's yeah. it's astounding. Again, there are some exceptions there, but um, they in the modern schools and colleges, you know, everybody's taught these days to believe that um, the uh, the American founders were terrible people and that they were in favor of slavery and all of this stuff. Um, it's such a misreading and a warping of what really was going on back in those days. But I think the military has a little bit better appreciation of it. And um, I'm kind of optimistic. Um, you know, when I went in, um, was, which was during the Vietnam War, the, um, the typical um, career person was, was one who was just going to follow orders. That was it. They trusted the government. Well, man, they don't trust the government anymore because nobody trusts the government anymore. And so they're kind of on their own about what direction that they think the country ought to go. Um, And um, I would suspect that at least half of them are mighty skeptical about uh, getting into one foreign war after another. Mm -hmm. Um, So, um, you know, I think, and I, I have no way to prove this, but I think that the military is going to be a key factor in what's coming in the future because those politicians are going to be giving them orders and their generals are going to be saying, I don't think the troops are going to go for this. Mm-hmm. All right. We're just a few minutes left yet. I, it's always, it always goes too fast with you, Richard. But here's the, the fourth first principle, quote, um, if I knew for a fact that someone is, uh, is coming to my house, with the conscious design of doing me good, I should run for my life, end of quote. Henry David Thoreau. It sounds a little bit like what Ronald Reagan says. If the government comes to uh, uh, tells you that they're here to help you, well, you better look out. Yep. Uh, can you talk a little bit about the dangers of looking to government for help? Well, the thing to keep in mind is that those people, in, well, back up even a little more. The government is made up of Ordinary human beings, people just like you and me, and they're trying to 
create laws and regulations and taxes and they're trying to grow the government in a direction that they think is good for you and me mm-hmm. well come on you know they don't know you and me they don't even know right. our names and and each individual is different we all have a different yeah. mix of needs wants and desires so these people in washington who keep passing these laws are are trying to run our lives without really knowing anything about us. Well, that can't go any place but but wrong, you know. Yeah. Um, and that's what's going on in America today. You have all of these power junkies in Washington and in the state capitals and the local uh, uh, local capitals that are making up these laws, thinking they know what's good for you and me. I mean, this is insane. My God, this yeah. is just insane. Right. And right. and so, you know, it the whole country is starting to come unglued. Things are breaking down all over the place because these people are trying to meddle in our lives. Right. Well, so which really leads me to the uh, to the fifth of these first principles. And I quote, politics as a practice, whatever its professions, has always been the systemic organization of hatreds end of quote, by Henry Brooke Adams, a historian. And I think you just kind of, I mean, have you? can you remember a time in which Americans were hating each other as much as, as, as we seem to be now? Uh, no. Um, I kind of suspect that even during the Civil War, it wasn't this bad as far as, as the hatred of each other is concerned. Mm-hmm. I really don't think Southerners and Northerners really hated each other. They just bought into the federal government's propaganda. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, today, there's also the propaganda um, that pitting the, the conservatives against the liberals or the progressives, whatever you call them. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think there's, there's something very visceral now. The, uh, there is a, a direct hatred of people who are on the other side, whoever they yeah. might be. Yeah. Uh, and 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 it's 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 a logical thing you would expect it to happen. You have uh, one side of the political spectrum just wants to tax and regulate us to death, and to take that money and to give it away uh, in order to buy votes. And the people who are being taxed for that, um, in some cases very very heavily, are are just going nuts. I mean, they don't want to be terrorized. By the tax collectors anymore. <laughs> yeah. Well, Rick, you know we're we're really running out of time here. I know there's so much more to talk about. Inflation is an issue that you see approaching as a result of a lot of these policies that are being gone. You know, we are asked to wear our face masks, to pay your taxes, to do all kinds of things. Except the people that are do- calling the shots seem to somehow uh, have another set of rules for themselves. A sort of encroachment that you talked about. Inflation mm-hmm. being one of those encroachments. We just don't have time, but what I would suggest um, people should go to, I guess if you just uh, Google Richard Mayberry, you can get your uh, the, the site to sign up for your letter. I People should really sign up for Rick's letter. It's very reasonably priced, very low-priced letter, monthly letter, and it will really help you to prepare because, Rick, what I wanted to get to and we didn't have time was mm-hmm. how can people prepare. Use this information to best prepare for the future, and you have some very, uh, you know, very concrete ideas in your letter that people should really sign up for. So where can they go to sign up and wh- where should they go? 
Um, our website is earlywarningreport.com. You can also look up Richard Mayberry, richardjmayberry.com. And uh, incidentally, the the issue you're talking about, August, that has the, the lengthy article about the great eruption that's on us right. now, um, you'll get that free if you uh, sign up uh, uh, within the next uh, week or so. Excellent. Well, people, you should do that. Go out there and don't hesitate. Do it right away. Rick, thank you so much for being with us, and I'm sorry we didn't have more time to talk about some of the solutions, but people can get them in your newsletter, so that's what they should do. All right. uh, Thank you very much. Well, folks, that is all the time we have for this week. Next week, John Rubino will be with me, Patrick Highsmith, he's the chairman of Firefox Gold, and Michael Oliver will be back as well. Until then, goodbye and God's blessings to you. Thank you again for listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with Jay Taylor. Please join us again next Tuesday at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. NV Gold Corporation, trading under NVX on the TSX and NVGLF on the OTCQB, is a gold exploration company focused on uncovering the next multi-million ounce gold deposit in Nevada with an aggressive exploration season ahead in 2021, a tight share structure, strong management ownership, key strategic investors, a globally recognized technical team, report coverage from industry gold experts, and a strong treasury. Visit NV Gold Corp. Corp.com to learn more on this exciting story.